0: Thank you, Pastor, for the introduction. It's a privilege again to be here. Thank you to the leadership of this church. Thank you to Brother Shoni and my good friend, Brother Elvin, who started this process of having me come here for this weekend. In 1984, Steve McCurry, photographer of the National Geographic, was at the Afghan-Pakistan border when he set his eyes on this little girl. And in the crowd that was around the little girl, and in the dusty streets, in spite of it, he managed to take a picture of this little girl. And he was taking this picture with his old film camera, so he didn't know how it was going to turn out. But he took this picture, and when he developed it, he knew that it was something special. So he told his editor about the picture, and his editor jumped up and said, this picture is going to be the cover of the next magazine. Not only was this picture the cover of the next magazine, it was the most famous photograph in the history of the National Geographic. This was a picture of 12-year-old Sharbat Gula, a Pashtun orphan in the Nasir Bagh refugee camp. Her innocent voice through this picture drew attention to the plight of people in the refugee camps and as a result many people volunteered to come to work in the refugee camps and the National Geographic itself started a fund for the Afghan children that were destitute. This morning in a sermon entitled Insignificant voices, I want to look at the story of Naaman. Turn your Bibles if you will to 2nd Kings chapter 5 and verse 1 through 27. So, what we're going to do is we're going to look at this entire chapter, but there's no time to go verse by verse. We will pick out some verses, and my focus is to talk about some insignificant voices that are in this chapter, in this story. It's a very common story. And there are three sets of servants in the story, and that would be the basis of the sermon this morning. I'll start from verse 1 and then we will go along. You can follow along with your Bibles. You don't need to turn to any other passage. We will be staying here for the duration of the sermon. Now Naaman was commander of the army of the king of Aram. He was a great man in the sight of his master and highly regarded. Because through him the Lord had given victory to Aram. He was a valiant soldier but he had leprosy. Naaman was a very important man. He was probably the right-hand man of the king of Aram. And this incident happened in the middle of the 9th century BC, so about 840 to 860 BC. And, it, and usually at this time, Israel and Aram were at war with each other. So they would have periods of war with each other, and then there would be periods of peace with each other, and then there would be periods of war again. Obviously, this happened at a time when it was a period of peace. Now, if you've had a couple of kids at home, this is how it usually is. There is a period of peace when everything is going great and amazing, and then uh, there's a period of war where everything goes downhill. And uh, if you're a young parent, if you have small kids, during the periods of peace, you think to yourself, oh, maybe I should have another kid. And then the periods of war come, and then you're like, oh no, that's not gonna happen. So, this is how it was there were periods of peace and periods of war, and this obviously happened during a period of peace. It says here, the Lord gave victory to Aram. Isn't that surprising? The Lord gave victory to Aram. Aram was an enemy of Israel. Israel was God's chosen people, and it says here that God gave victory. To Aram you would think that the enemies of God's people God would be against but God is able to use anybody he wants for his glory God can use enemies to grow us and that is why we shouldn't be fighting against people because we don't know if God is working for them God may be fighting for them and if we fight against people we'll be fighting against God we just assume that if God is for us, he's against those people that we don't like, our enemies. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 12 it says, Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. We understand the second part of this verse, that our struggle is against the spiritual forces of evil. But sometimes we forget about the first part of the verse which says our struggle is not against flesh and blood. So that's why we need to be careful in dealing with people because our fight is not against people and God may be fighting for them. Think about a person that you think is against you. Maybe your boss. Maybe your neighbor who keeps throwing their trash across the wall. Or it may be your parent, you know, most, most teenagers think that the parent is the enemy, so it may be your parent. How do you know that God is not fighting for that person? God may be doing something in them and through them that we don't really know. And so we need to be careful when we deal with people just in case God is fighting for them. Verse 2 says, Now bands of raiders from Aram had gone out and had taken captive a young girl from Israel, and she served Naaman's wife. Verse 3, She said to her mistress, If only my master would see the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. And here we have the first voice, the soft voice of belief. This young girl was the soft voice of belief. This little girl is in the house of Naaman and she is a prisoner of war. It's possible that when Naaman and his army went to Israel and killed people, they probably killed her family. They probably destroyed her home. And so she has been captured and in a foreign country, in a foreign, under foreign people, a servant, she could have been free at home. But she's here in a foreign country, a prisoner of war, and she has no resentment. You know, if I was a prisoner of war, and I was in my captor's house, I would have some kind of resentment. If I was a prisoner of war, and you know, I was made the gardener or something, At my captor's house I mean I would cut off all the plants instead of actually growing them and if I found out that my captor had leprosy what do you think I would do yes praise God God has finally answered my prayer Lord not only leprosy give him an aneurysm I would have prayed but what did this lady do she's much better than I am she said she had a simple belief in boldness and she was the voice of belief to her captor. Let me ask you a question. Who are you the voice of belief to? Who are you the voice of belief to? We are, all, we are all in a journey, right? We are all in a spiritual journey and in Ephesians 4 it says that we are all growing unto Christ who is the head. So, We can have interactions, or we should have meaningful interactions with people where we move people to the next step in their spiritual journey. How many meaningful interactions have you had in the last month that you could have had a spiritual conversation? Especially when people have a need, we can be that soft voice of belief and speak relevant truth. So Naaman told this to the king and the king planned to send silver and gold and he sent a letter with Naaman to the king of Israel. Verse 6, the letter that he took to the king of Israel read, with this letter I'm sending my servant Naaman to you so that you may cure him of his leprosy. As soon as the king of Israel read the letter, watch this, he tore his robes and said, am I God? Can I kill and bring back to life? Why does this fellow send someone to me to be cured of his leprosy? See how he's trying to pick a quarrel with me. I mean the panic of the king is hilarious. I mean he's getting all worked up. He's going all out crazy. The servant girl in a foreign country knows about the man of God in Israel while the king of Israel who's supposed to work with the prophet of God to find out God's will does not know about the man of God. Verse 8, when Elisha, the man of God, heard the king of Israel had torn his robes, he sent him this message. Why have you torn your robes? Have the man come to me and he will know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman went with his horses and chariots and stopped at the door of Elisha's house. So he went with regalia, with pomp and circumstance and he stops outside Elisha's house. But look what happens next. Verse 10, Elisha sent a messenger to say to him, Elisha did not care about his pomp and circumstance. So he sent a messenger and this is what he said, Go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan and your flesh will be restored and you will be cleansed. This was an easy solution, right? He's got leprosy, go dip yourself in the Jordan seven times and you'll be cleansed. Well, what did Naaman think about this? In verse 11, Naaman went away angry and said, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God. Wave his hand over the spot and cure me of my leprosy. Are not Abana and Farpar the rivers of Damascus better than all the waters of Israel? Couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? So he turned and went off in a rage. There were three things that Naaman didn't like he didn't like that Elisha didn't come out to meet him but Elisha didn't want anything to do with his riches and his pomp and his position or anything so Elisha sent a messenger the second thing that Naaman didn't like is he didn't like the Jordan River I mean all well, the Jordan River was probably a muddy river at that time and he didn't like it third he didn't like that he had to do something to get healed he wanted Elisha to come and wave his hand. Where is your skin disease sir? My skin disease is on my face Alright, I will wave my hand over your face and heal you. Where is your skin disease sir? My skin disease is on my hand. Alright, I will wave my hand over your hand and heal you He thought Elisha would wave his hand, but he didn't he didn't want to do anything Which raises a question why does God ask us to do something? What usually God asks us to do is something very simple. But he does ask us to do something. If you want to be saved, Jesus did all the work. But Romans 10.9 says, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Why didn't God say, okay, Jesus died for you, now everybody's going to go to heaven. But he doesn't do that. Because he wants us to decide to obey him. He wants us to decide to obey him. So he gives us a simple task that he, he forces us to choose to obey him. When the people of Israel were wandering for 40 years in the desert, and they came across the Jordan River, which was on flood stage, at flood stage at the time, they crossed the Jordan River, came to Jericho. Did God say, okay, as soon as you cross the Jordan River, you've been wandering 40 years, as soon as you cross the Jordan River, you will find that the walls of Jericho have fallen down. Is that what happened? No, God wanted them to do something because God wants us to decide to obey him. You see, it is not in the water of the Jordan that was the healing. It was in the willingness to obey and in the power of God where the healing was. So even though Naaman went away in a rage, the real issue here is pride. So what did Elisha do? Did he say, oh Naaman, I'm so sorry. Come back here. I should have recognized your your pomp and position. Let me wave at you and cure you of your leprosy. Did Elisha do that? Absolutely not. Because it's your problem. You have leprosy. You want to be healed. You have to choose between pride or deliverance. You want to hold on to pride? That's on you. God wants us, and that's why God wants us to confess and repent, because it shows that we are letting go of our pride so that we can get deliverance. Verse 13 says, Naaman's servants went to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do some great thing, wouldn't you have done it? How much more than when he tells you wash and be cleansed and secondly we have the same voice of reason the same voice of reason the solution to the problem is so simple it is so simple and it made sense to do it and because there is nothing to lose all he had to do was dip himself in the Jordan River seven times not Come back weekly and dip yourself in the Jordan River seven times, not come back monthly or annually and dip yourself in the Jordan just one time. Go to the Jordan River, dip yourself, it's a simple task, you can choose to do it. To show you how easy this solution is for a chronic problem, let's see if this could be a solution for some of our chronic problems. So let's say you have type 1 diabetes, and you say, Lord, I've got type 1 diabetes, I'm so sick of giving Novolog and Lantus to myself, you know, four times a day, can you heal me of my chronic disease? And God says, oh yeah, that's great. Go to Lavon Lake and dip yourself seven times and your type 1 diabetes will be gone. You see how simple that solution would be? What if you say, well, Lord, I'm in um, first year of college and I'm struggling with my grades. My parents think I'm a genius and they keep talking about me to my church members, but I know the truth, you know the truth. I want you to help me with with my grades. And God says, that's great. I'm going to answer your prayer. So instead of you having to study, go to Grapevine Lake and dip yourself seven times and your grades is going to improve overnight. The solution is so simple. But Naaman didn't like the disrespect. He didn't like the solution, but his servants talked sense to him. And in a fascinating way, Naaman is both proud and humble at the same time. He's proud for the reasons that we talked about, but he's humble enough to listen to his servants. He's humble enough that the servants knew that they could tell him that they could oppose him. You see, this man is a very important man and surely not one to be easily opposed but his servants knew his character that they could tell him something that he didn't like. Let me ask you a question. Who is the voice of reason to you? Who is the voice of reason to you? I know that you're smart. I know that you're somebody. I know that you're educated. I know that you're experienced, I know that you're accomplished, but we need somebody who is the voice of reason to us, that can tell us no, that has the freedom to tell us no. The Bible is full of stories of great people who fell from Noah to David to Peter. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 12 it says, So if you think you're standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. Verse 14, so he went down and dipped himself in the Jordan seven times as a man of God had told him, and his flesh was restored and he became clean like that of a young boy. And after that, Naaman comes back to Elisha, and he thanks him, and he urges him to take a gift. Naaman came with 750 pounds of silver and 600 pounds of gold as a gift 750 pounds of silver 650 pounds of gold to give as a gift and he comes with all this gold and silver and ten sets of clothing and wants to give it as a gift to Elisha and Elisha would have none of it Elisha staunchly refused the gift After he left though, Elisha's servant Gehazi secretly runs after Naaman and lies to him. He says, well, you know, actually Elisha really wants this gift. There were a couple of, um, you know, prophets that came and he wants this gift. So can you give me one talent of silver and two sets of clothes? Naaman had come with ten talents of silver, but... Gehazi said, I just want one talent of silver and two sets of clothes. So Naaman said, no, 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 take two talents of silver and two sets of clothes. And the delivery is free. I will come and drop it at your place. So he sent his servant and went to Gehazi's home and dropped the gift at Gehazi's place. Gehazi takes it to his house, packs it in. And verse 25 says, when he went in and stood before his master, Elisha asked him, where have you been Gehazi? Your servant didn't go anywhere, Gehazi answered. Did you eat the cookie and drink the milk that was on the table? Gehazi shook off the crumbs from his shirt, wiped the milk mustache off his face and said, No, I did not. Verse 26, but Elisha said to him, Was not my spirit with you when the man got down from his chariot to meet you? Naaman's leprosy will cling to you and to your descendants forever. Then Gehazi went from Elisha's presence and his skin was leprous. It had become as white as snow. What a contrast to the soft voice of belief and the same voice of reason. Here was the selfish voice of desire. Elisha refused the gifts, but Gehazi used Elisha's name, And dishonored God. He dishonored God for the sake of his physical desires. Compared to our love for God. How strong is the voice of desire in us? Suppose your choices were. My comfort. Versus. God's glory, right? My comfort, I can pray for my comfort or God's glory. What would we pray for? Well, ideally, we'll pray for both. Right? That's what we do. Lord, I want all these things for my comfort, all my prayer requests for me, and I want you to use it for your glory. Right? That's what we pray. We want both, which is great. I'm not... It's not that God cannot do that, and many times He does. We are encouraged to pray for ourselves. God wants us to pray for ourselves. God answers prayers that we pray for ourselves. But what if we had to choose between our comfort and God's glory? You see, God may sometimes put us in a place where He wants us to choose. He wants us to choose because God wants to know if we will choose him over ourselves. Luke chapter 9 verse 23 reads, then he said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny himself and take up their cross daily and follow me. Would we choose God and his glory if it meant that our prayers would not be answered? Let's test it. Right? Let's see how much we love God. To test how much we love God. What if God did not answer one more prayer of yours that is for yourself? How much would that change your commitment to him? If your commitment to him changes even a little bit, that means On some level we have been seeking God for our own selves. Isn't it? Why does God ask this of us? Why does God ask us to love Him more than we love ourselves? You know why? Because He did. In 2004 Gillian Searle of Perth in Western Australia her husband and their two sons went on a vacation to Thailand, and I'm going to end with the story. But on December 26th, disaster struck. A massive earthquake occurred that caused a tsunami that killed 230,000 people in 14 countries. It was an earthquake so big that the, that the whole earth vibrated one centimeter. Jillian and her family were at this seaside resort, relaxing with their two kids. And Jillian's husband went up to the room to get some towels. So Jillian was by herself with her five-year-old and her two-year-old when the 20-foot wave came across. She quickly grabbed, with her one hand, she grabbed something stable, And then she had to make a choice that no parent ever wants to make. Because she had to choose in a split second whether she was gonna grab on to the two year old or to the five year old. She had no time to think and she grabbed on to the two year old. And in grabbing on to the two year old, she decided to let the five year old go. You see ladies and gentlemen, 2,000 years ago when Jesus died, he had to choose between his life and our salvation. And he chose our salvation. God had to choose between his son's life. And if he chose his son's life, we would all be eternally condemned. But he had a choice to make and he chose us. And because he chose us, he had to let his son go and face his full wrath. He chose us. Amen. Thank you.